Hello there, beautiful soul. Welcome to Weaving the Wild. Thanks for listening in and joining me. I'm your host, Rachel. And if you've ever felt called to explore ancestral connection, like maybe you hear those words and something inside you kind of sits up and and listens in, or maybe you felt really called to connect with a specific part of your lineage, Or maybe you've been doing a lot of exploring already, but you feel like something is missing or like it doesn't feel real, quote unquote, like it doesn't feel integrated into your life. This is the episode for you. In this episode, I want to share five or so ways to explore connecting to your ancestors. So dropping into your ancestral roots and strengthening or maybe even creating and establishing a relationship with your ancestors who are wise, well and healed. Ancestral connection is a huge topic with many layers, but in this episode, I want to bring it all back so that we can remember that this doesn't need to be hard, that this can be easy and simple and fully integrated within our daily lives in ways that are really deep and beautiful, but also grounded and really tangible. So let's dive in. Welcome, beautiful soul, to the Weaving the Wild podcast. In this space, we are reclaiming and remembering the wildish wisdom and knowledge that lies deep within our bones and reconnecting to those parts of ourselves that are both ancient and familiar. We talk about it all, awakening our collective wildness and dropping back into our bodies, honoring our cyclical rhythms, connecting to our roots, embracing our intuitive nature and living embodied within the feminine. I'm Rachel Hodgins, and I'm honoured to be walking this path beside you. Let's dive in. So like I said, I, I don't want this episode to be too fluffy. I want it to be simple. I want you to step away after listening to this and feel it in your body, just how close your ancestors are. They're right at your fingertips. And maybe it's because we're entering into autumn here where I live. So we're beginning our descent into the dark half of the year and the time of the ancestors. But I'm really feeling this coming through really strongly right now. We are meant to live in a way that is deeply rooted and deeply connected to the earth and to those who came before us. Humans have done so for longer than we have not. (laughs) Like if you go back through your entire ancestral tree, if you were to account for your entire lineage, the percentage of people who came before you who didn't practice some form of spiritual earth-based like ancestral reverence or who lived in such a way where recognition of the ancestors was woven into what they did and how they lived, like that number would be tiny, (laughs) like just a little blip in comparison to the rest of your lineage who have lived in such a way. We have done this for longer than we have not. And so the memory is there. The memory lives within us. And while there are many layers to ancestral healing and many ways we can approach that, when it comes to connecting with those who came before us, 
it really needn't be hard or complicated. I was just having a conversation with a client recently, this beautiful soul who has been, she's been on the wild heart journey with me for some time. And she was sharing about the fact that she has this really deep yearning to connect with her ancestors, to engage with them. But none of what she's doing feels like it's getting through. And I really related to that feeling. It's like she she can feel them there, like they feel so present, but she can't figure out how to access them, how to pull the veil back, so to speak. And it was frustrating for her because she's been doing so much healing around her ancestral line, particularly her mother line, so her red thread, and clearing out a lot of ancestral stories and energy held within her womb. She's been doing a lot of healing work. And so she was like, why can't I get to them? Why can't I feel like I can get through? And that is really why I'm recording this episode. I feel that connecting to our ancestors is so interwoven with our connection to the earth. Like earth reverence is ancestral reverence. Connecting to the earth is connecting to the ancestors and vice versa. And I really think we can overthink this stuff. <laughs> like We are quick to overcomplicate what we need to do, right? Like, sure, sometimes like when it comes to connecting to the ancestors, to feel their presence, right, within and around us, sometimes the answer or our access point to them is as big and grand and esoteric as, you know, we might assume. But sometimes it's right there at our feet. Sometimes that access point to feel and engage with them is right at our feet and very much rooted in the earthly realms in which we live. And that's not to say that like meditation and shamanic journeying and drumming and trance and things like that aren't powerful or effective forms of ancestral connection. They're all amazing tools and methods of ancestral connection and very much ancient tools as well. So not disregarding them. But those who have worked with me before know that I like to keep things simple. And I usually find that the earth herself and earth-based wisdom is often the simplest and most profound wisdom of all. So it's usually to the earth that I go first and most often find answers. And what I've found is when we look back at what we do know about our ancestors, especially our ancient ancestors, we can see that their spirituality and in that, their connection and relationship to their ancestors, also our ancestors, was very much rooted in tangible practices, in the cycles of the earth and nature, and woven within their daily lives as well. So with that in mind, I want to share today some of my favorite ways to connect to your ancestral roots and strengthen your relationship, your sense of connection to your ancestors, to those who came before you, whose blood runs within your veins, right? And I want this to be super simple, super practical, not too fluffy. <laughs> so I want you to really feel into the medicine of simplicity here and see if in everything that we're exploring today, if you can keep bringing this back to connections also to the earth and to your physical, tangible, natural world. 
So let's dive right on in. So number one is to learn their names. If you can, I believe there is a lot of power in learning and being able to speak the names of those who came before us. I think I've touched on this in an episode that I shared around ancestral reverence and remembering and connecting to my brother Glenn, who passed away around 10 years ago now, just a little bit more. And I spoke about why it feels important to me to talk about him and to say his name, to see that he's still present. And you can make that as spiritual or as matter of fact as you like. But when I say his name, even now, right, he lives on and continues to exist on some level, in some way, he remains alive and continues to weave and be woven into this world. And I think there's a sadness in forgetting the names of our loved ones and those who came before us because we stop speaking them into being when we stop calling upon their memory and their energy. It's almost like that last little remnant fades in some ways when we no longer talk about them. But I I talk more in depth about that and why it's important in that other episode. So I will link that in the show notes if you would like to hear more on that. But my point here is that speaking their names, holding their names in memory and passing them on in this way keeps them alive and present. One of the key roles of the bards, so my roots, I should say, my roots are mostly Celtic pagans, so ancient Celtic peoples. And the bards were a key component of this tradition. They held a really important role. And one of the things that they were responsible for was remembering and sharing the names of the lineages. This was one of the more ancient traditions of the bard. And they could recite hundreds of names in one go, like in one sitting. Why do you think they did that? Why do you think that that was important? I'm not even like here to give you an answer on that. (laughs) I'm just going to pose the question and allow you to feel into it. Like why would they bother remembering and reciting hundreds of names? Why would that have been an important and sacred task? One other thing that I feel called to add to this point as well is that this was actually a huge part of my own ancestral remembering and connection as I learned the names of the women in my mother line. So this is maybe another story for another time, but essentially in a nutshell, I had no connection, like no knowledge at all of my red thread beyond my mother, essentially. So my grandmother My mum's mother, Glennis, died when my mum was really little, just like five or six. And so my mum grew up without her and without really knowing her herself. And that whole side of her family kind of faded away. And I grew up obviously, like obviously knowing Glennis's name, but not really anything else. Like I didn't know any other detail about her other than that. So there was always this big gaping hole, which I never even really recognized was there. It was this big part of me that was entirely absent that I'd never thought about. And in that, like not just Glennis, but her entire family, her parents and their parents. And it was, it was when I became aware of the concept of the mother line 
and our red thread that I realized uh like I don't even know my red thread at all (laughs) there is this whole quarter of my ancestry of my lineage that's just been entirely absent or like rather I have been entirely disconnected and oblivious to them so I set out finding what I could with a particular focus on my mother line so my mum's mother Glennis and her mother and her mother and so on and I actually traced my mother line back six generations which was amazing (laughs) so what do I do with this knowledge like aside from being able to just learn about them even just their names even just the simple fact that my uttering the name Elizabeth Kale meant like I was possibly the first person to do so for 70, 80, 100 years even. Like that's pretty special. And let me tell you, I felt it. I felt tingles when I found her name, Elizabeth Kale. But in a more tangible, practical sense, I call on these names whenever I sit in circle. So I name myself as the daughter of these women because I am. And it's a means for me to recognize who and where I come from. It was also really special to be able to call these women in with my sister in the lead up to her first birth. So she had some bunting that she she hung with messages from different people, some like little reminders like breathe and things like that, which could hang up in her birthing space. And on one of them, I wrote the names Elizabeth, Annie, Irene, Florence, and Glennis. And it felt so powerful for us to do that together, to call on them, and even to serve as this beautiful reminder that each of these women gave birth to the next, all birthing women. And they were here to support Jess as she entered the birth portal and brought her son into the world the next generation for all of us, including them. And I'm certain that each of them from Elizabeth Kale through to our grandmother, Glennis, were all there smiling and teary eyed with pride for Jess. So that was another way that it felt really empowering and special to be able to call on our ancestors and connect in that way. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without honing in and learning their names. Now, before I move on to the next point, I do just want to say that I know that this isn't necessarily possible for everyone for a number of reasons. So there are those of you who've been adopted, for example, and I also know that this is something that as a white person, I have the privilege of accessing far more easily than others. So if I go on Ancestry.com, for example, it's generally not too hard for me to find the records of my most recent ancestors kind of pieced together for me. But for many people of color, this is often not the case because a few reasons really, but Until somewhat recently, these ancestors still lived in a culture where stories and information were passed down orally. And one of the results of colonization was that records weren't actually kept or if they were, they weren't always entirely factual. And add to that the fact that stories and cultural information, including the names of past generations, which was generally passed on, as I said, orally, 
were that was all like very determinedly banned and stamped out so I just want to acknowledge this like some of this work is difficult and challenging to actually do on a tangible level like the actual kind of Uh, family tree I suppose you would say um, and record keeping to find names and things like that so I want to acknowledge that it's also why I really encourage those who can and those who do have this information to make the most of it I also really encourage you to speak to your elders to your grandparents or your aunts and uncles to see if you can't discover any information that they might have that they might not even know that they have and that you're looking for it and it feels really important to do that now while we can before memory does die out so that we have that information to pass on to our next generations too. Okay number two is find them in your garden and in plants. So like I said, for me, I feel that ancestral work and ancestral connection is very much interwoven with our relationship to the earth and to nature. If you want to find your ancestors, go and meet them where they are, in the earth, of the earth. There is a deep medicine that comes from working with your hands to tend to the earth, to nurture and cultivate and engage with plants and the natural world, to grow your own food, right? To grow something from seed and nurture it until harvest, to cut and dry herbs to use, all these different things. There is a strange thing that happens when I'm working in my garden. Like sometimes I look down at my own hands and wonder whose they are (laughs) like in this brief moment I see them sowing seeds or weeding or picking veggies for dinner and I know that these hands could be anywhere throughout time what my hands are doing are the same as they would have 100 1000 5000 years ago or more you know and it's when a realization like that hits something that's so simple and so profound that I really feel my ancestors, not even like necessarily around me, but within me. I find this as well when I'm working with herbal medicine. Like even I remember the first time that I dried a herb, it was nettle, um, to make a tea out of it. I took like the dried bunches outside into the sun with a little wooden bowl and I had no idea what I was doing. But I told myself it couldn't be that hard. So I just set to work picking and crunching the leaves up into kind of smaller pieces and putting them in a jar. And truly, my hands just felt so happy. It was like they just knew what to do. And my mind was full of all the women who I was mirroring, who I was following the same rhythm within my lineage, all the women who had picked a plant and dried it for medicine, right? The memory of it from every single one of them was etched into the rhythm of my own hands, which had never done this before, but simply just got to it and settled into the motion. That is ancestral connection too, my love. And That really brings me to my third point, actually. So number three is to do things that they would recognize. 
I heard this simple, simple piece of advice on an episode of the Medicine Stories podcast. And I think it was Amber's interview with Lara Valeda Vesta. Don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. But that episode is incredible. And I highly recommend listening to it anyway. So I'll pop the link to that in the show notes as well. But I think it was something Amber herself shared, which was if, if you want to feel your ancestors and to connect to them, do something that they would actually be able to recognize. So they aren't going to understand or recognize scrolling on your phone or watching TV or like probably anything to do with technology, really. But they would recognize baking a loaf of bread. Even if the process is different to what they would have done, they would still recognize the act of combining those simple ingredients, right? They would recognize kneading the dough. Your ancestors would recognize the act of lighting a fire or of looking up at the moon or bleeding onto the earth if we're going to go back far enough. They would recognize weeding and watering your garden. Again, even if you're using a hose that they would have never seen before, I feel like they would get it. I feel like they get the the idea and recognize bringing water to nourish a plant, right? This is also an invitation to, like, like I said, go and meet them where they are. It's an invitation to explore some of the practices that they would recognize that maybe you aren't as acquainted with. So things like weaving or basket making, knitting, making a clay pot or a vessel. Maybe it's going to collect your water from a nearby spring, which is something that they would have needed to do, right? So try feeling into and envisaging What would my ancestors have known how to do? What skills would they have held that I have not yet learned in this modern world? And maybe it's maybe it's collecting wild herbs and food. So perhaps you could take a class on herb identification or you could join a local foraging group or maybe you take a basket weaving class. This is powerful. I can assure you it doesn't really matter what you choose, like whether you explore taking a class in something or you you just go and swim in wild water, like in a river or a creek or the ocean. When you hold the awareness of what you're truly doing, of how this simple act is one that's been performed countless times throughout your lineage, up and down the line, that brings a special kind of connection and medicine and healing like to be open to the insights that come as you lean in with that awareness really notice like notice how your heart feels notice how your belly and your womb feel notice if there's a particular part of your body that feels especially alive as you're doing said thing because that is memory my love that is ancient memory and when we're tuning into that memory we're finding our connection we're finding our connection to the ancient ones who lived and breathed it that experience okay number four is to research their folk practices so we can do this in lots of ways (laughs) lots of ways to do so and maybe that's another episode for another day but learning the folk practices and traditions of your ancestors is deeply powerful and I found it's, it's 
really a key part of anchoring into your own roots and meeting your ancestors by kind of holding or sharing the same kind of sacred space that they once did. That doesn't mean you have to learn and copy their exact practices and rituals. Like, well, I mean, some people might believe so, but personally, <laughs> like my relationship to this is more around the intention and the awareness that I hold and kind of seeing that my intention aligns with what my ancestors were also seeking as they performed their sacred rituals and traditions. So let me unpack that a little bit <laughs> so you can kind of get what I mean here. So again, my lineage is mostly Celtic pagan and I love reading and learning about the Celtic pagan traditions. Like from quite early on, that was how I connected. I would read all I could about sacred plants and herbs, about the traditions associated within the wheel of the year. I would read about the ancient relationship to the directions, you know, of north, south, east and west. And I'd read about the gods and goddesses and, and everything. And to start with, I was so immersed in it and it was a lot of kind of information gathering, I suppose. Um, and in that sense, it was very intellectual. But what I would really hone in on is as I was reading something, every now and then my body would respond like something within me would kind of light up and kind of buzz like a little ding. And that told me that there was something in what I just read, whether it was a particular practice or a cosmological belief, <laughs> like whatever it might be, that was important to me. So that's the first thing I would say is start to really research and see what you can learn, but pay attention to what feels important and don't get too overwhelmed by the sheer mass of information that's at your disposal. Really look out for the information that kind of pings within your body. What I also found was I was especially called towards kind of like the most ancient practices, like the most ancient goddesses, the most ancient ways and traditions, because most of them seemed the most simple. And that doesn't mean less sacred or any less profound, but the most simple and in many ways accessible practices, I think. And they just kind of made the most sense to me. I also really found, and this was something that I found quite grounding, in my simplification <laughs> was that while we can attach a lot of extra meaning to certain days or maybe certain rituals or deities or what have you, the majority of things always came back to a few very basic concepts. So things like fertility or death, rebirth, the energy of the mother or the elements, right? So there were... it generally came back to things like fertility and death, <laughs> really. And these are very basic key themes that are quite universal, no matter where your ancestors originate from. And by learning more about my ancestors and their folk practices and traditions, it was a way for me to understand how they saw and understood and therefore related to the world around them. So I'm just going to repeat that. By learning more about my ancestors' folk practices and traditions, it helped me to understand how they saw, how they understood, and therefore how they related to the world around them. 
So it wasn't just about going, oh, hey, they celebrated the summer solstice by doing this, this, and this, and then trying to kind of directly replicate that, but rather it was about tuning into their intention. You know, their ent- it's their entire cosmology, the way in which they place themselves in the world and engaged with the forces around them. That is the essence of why we're doing this, right? To weave our way back to wholeness, to find our ancestors and connect with them doesn't just mean journeying all the way back to their time and trying to replicate their ways today, but it's actually about inviting them in here and now. So what might that look like for you? This is where I think we can really easily overlook the power of just starting, just holding the intention and beginning really simply. Because maybe it's by just lighting a fire at the back to sit by, or maybe it's in the act of baking bread on a particular day. Maybe it's in looking skyward and smiling gratefully as you pick your first tomato or zucchini from your veggie patch. Or maybe it's pausing to look at your blood as it first begins to flow on day one of your cycle. It doesn't have to be big or grand in order to attune to what our ancestors were also tuning into, were also recognizing within their own practices, traditions, and rituals. So I want you to just keep that in mind, right? It's about engaging with the intention. And from there, once you've truly engaged and connected to the why, you might then begin exploring more of the what and the how. So you know why your ancestors celebrated winter solstice or Beltane as an example. You understand the energy and the intention behind it all. So then as you start to explore what their rituals or traditions and practices actually looked like, they start to hold more meaning for you. It also, I think, creates a bit more spaciousness and room for enjoyment as we're doing this. Like it becomes less heavy and less dogmatic and more of an invitation to just engage with the earth and the energy surrounding you once more, which is really the essence of what all of our ancient ancestors were seeking to do. So that point in a nutshell, (laughs) which kind of went many ways, That point in a nutshell is research and learn about your ancestors' folk practices. Um, And in doing so, as you're researching and learning, pay attention to what feels most true and relevant and interesting to you because that's a fair indication of something for you to look into further and to follow. And also to tune into the intention and the why behind the practices so that you can also kind of bring those rituals and traditions into your modern life so they are relevant now and they hold rich, deep meaning as opposed to just trying to replicate and copy something that our ancestors did 10,000 years ago, for example. Okay, number five is to cook their food. Food is powerful. It's powerful because it is sensual. It invokes our senses. So our sense of taste, sight, sound, touch, and smell. All of them are kind of activated while we are cooking and eating food. And all these senses, especially scent, are powerful at activating memory. 
So I invite you to feel into this two, two different ways. First, there's exploring cooking and eating food and recipes of your more recent ancestors. So maybe there's a recipe that your grandma always used to make, or maybe there's a way to make jam that her grandmother passed down to her. These are ancestral gifts, right? And they are direct connections to those who came before us. When we pull out the same ingredients and our hands follow the same rhythm to create the same recipe, we're engaging in something more than just cooking dinner. And when we cook the same Sunday roast that our dad used to make, that holds more than just we're sitting down to eat dinner. Again, it holds memory and it calls on the essence, the memory and the energy of another that we attach that is tied to another. So food is powerful and it's actually a really common way that memory gets passed down through the generations. So something to fill into there is if you have any particular memories of certain meals or recipes that someone used to make within your family, or maybe you have the, like there's an old recipe book from your grandma or her mother, that is a powerful connection to your ancestors. The other way that I invite you to fill into this idea of cooking the food of your ancestors is to literally look up the sort of food or cuisine that your, let's say your more ancient ancestors were more familiar with. So this might be particularly powerful for those who don't necessarily know the details of their ancestors. So like names or just individual details, but they know where they came from. So maybe you know somewhere in your father's mother's side you have Italian heritage or that part of your lineage originates from Serbia. I don't know, but it might sound ridiculously simple. I know. But while it might feel difficult to access those ancestors while you don't feel like you know them, Honestly, something as simple as like cooking the food of their heritage, it can be a direct and also really intimate access point in connecting with them. Remember, our ancestors aren't just like lofty spirits out there in the spirit world. They are also of our bodies. We remember them and feel them on a cellular level. They're in our bones. And they do say, you are what you eat. <laughs> and I think certain foods do hold ancestral memory so this might be something to explore like get your hands on a couple of cookbooks uh, or even just google it and see what types of food and flavors and and what methods your ancestors would cook with and just give it a go even if you're not a cook even if you don't particularly like cooking <laughs> i invite you to just explore it as a sacred act as an act of devotion and as a way of reaching out to them and finally, number six is to make an altar and or leave an offering for them. So another super simple, very tangible practice that you can do is to create an ancestral altar. And this can be as elaborate or as simple and subtle as you choose. If you're wanting to make it specifically ancestral, you can include things like pictures or any photographs that you have of your lineage and maybe you just have some photos of your grandparents maybe they are photos of just your parents or maybe you've got a whole host of your lineage in black and white photos so that's amazing so you can include them you might also place any objects you have of theirs so perhaps you inherited a hairbrush or a brooch 
So anything that once belonged to those who came before you, who you wish to have a relationship with, I might add. So if it doesn't feel right or if you don't feel good about connecting with them, then honor that. You don't have to. You do not have to. You might also include elements of the season or or nature that feel fitting to you, much like our ancient ancestors would have done. Or it can be simply a spot in your home that you designate as sacred and you keep a vase of fresh flowers and maybe a candle there. Tending to and connecting to this space is what brings the practice of an altar alive. So perhaps you use your altar space to light a candle for those who came before you. Maybe you go there to ask for support and guidance. Maybe you leave food and water there overnight or wine, whatever it might be. <laughs> Maybe you do that on sort of especially sacred days like Samhain to feed and sustain their spirits and to ensure that they know they're not forgotten, right? Maybe the weekly act of just replacing the flowers or dusting everything down is enough for you to feel tuned in and to call your awareness to them. For me, there is a lot of magic and medicine in the simple act of remembering, of holding someone or something in your mind, in your awareness. As I shared earlier around kind of learning and speaking their names, there is a a magic to this where as long as we're calling them forth, as long as we are keeping them present within our thoughts and our words and our actions, they live on. Even if you don't know any names, you can still hold them in your awareness. You can still devote a space in your time, in your day or your week, or literally somewhere in your home that is dedicated to them, to your roots, to those who lived so that you could live here and now. Wowee. Okay, this turned into a bigger one than I originally thought. Sometimes that happens. Let me just actually rehash those points because we covered a lot just then. So we have number one, learn their names. Number two, connect to plants and nature. Number three is do things that they would recognize. Number four is to research their folk practices. Number five is to cook their food. And number six is to create an ancestral altar and or to give offerings. Now, I really want to just put a pin in something right here because it's really important. You do not need to do any of these and you certainly don't need to do all of these in order to connect to your ancestors. Maybe some of these really resonate while others specifically don't resonate. Like maybe your whole body lit up at the thought of connecting to plants or thinking about learning how to weave or something like that. But making an altar is just really not your thing. And that's okay. You're not doing ancestral connection any less than someone else simply because you see someone making an altar and you don't want to or feel like it. To be honest, like as it stands right now, I only create an altar around specific times of the year, like Samhain or the winter solstice. That's when I personally feel most called to do it. But that doesn't mean that I'm not practicing ancestral connection and reference throughout the rest of the year. So really what I'm sharing in this episode is meant as an invitation 
for you to explore and to find access points, like little paths to help you find your way in. And really just to experiment and find what feels important and powerful to you. I hope it's been helpful. I hope that you find at least one thing today that you can take and really begin to integrate in a way that feels nourishing and like most importantly, in a simple way, in a way that helps you feel like you're grounding into your roots as opposed to getting overwhelmed or just washed up in that head of yours. Let's keep things simple and just bring it back down to earth, shall we? If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to screenshot and share it on Instagram to let me know, tag me so I can see, and you can also leave a lovely rating over on Apple Podcasts. Either way, both things would make my heart sing. And if you're interested in exploring this work in more detail while immersing yourself in the wisdom of the feminine and aligning with the cyclic rhythm of the earth, moon, and womb... I'll be opening two spaces very soon to work one-on-one with me in my three-month mentorship container, which is called the Wild Heart Journey. If this is calling to you, and you'll know, you'll know, because your womb might have just swelled and spoken words to you like, yes, or I want that, or your heart might have just awoken and sparked with deep excitement. If you felt that, then reach out to me reach out to me now, send me a DM on Instagram, or you can drop me an email. I'll pop all the details in the show notes on how to get in touch with me. But I'm actually lessening the amount of clients and people that I'm working with this year. So these couple of spots will likely fill quite quickly. And that's why I'm letting you know about it now before I even open them. Alrighty, I hope you've enjoyed the episode. I hope that you felt something come alive within you, a deep remembering, a connection to your roots as you listened in. I'm sending you so much love, beautiful one. Thank you for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Weaving the Wild podcast. I'm walking my path here on Jaja Wurrung country and I acknowledge the Jaja Wurrung elders past and present.